Happy Sabbath, church. It's good to be home and good to be back. Although uh, we had a good time in Australia, the, the smoke there was thicker than it gets here in, in KL. So uh, when, when my family was saying, you know, they could smell the smoke in the air, I could not smell it. I think my uh, nose has adjusted to KL air already. But uh, we got to pray for them there. It's the biggest in the history of of bushfires ever, so it's just another sign of the time, I think, that the nature is telling us that uh, things are getting pretty serious. As we were driving down the highway, everything was brown, and I was just mentioning to my wife that we could just set a match and it would just light everything on fire. It's so easy, and there in Australia, um, when the wind blows, it doesn't cool down, it gets hotter, like an oven, so uh, I'm glad to be back to cool Malaysia. Well, before we open the word, let's bow our heads once more for water prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, we've come this morning to seek a blessing. And unless you are with us, that cannot possibly happen. So, Lord, we're pleading for a presence of your Holy Spirit to pour out even upon us even now, that our time together might be profitable today, that truly we can leave this place a better man and a better woman, because we have had an interaction with the presence of God. And so, Lord, please guide us and lead us now, even as we study, as we read, as we listen. May we hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14. We are certainly going to get through the Gospel John in this coming year, no doubt. John chapter 14 is actually quite a famous chapter. And as I was preparing, as I was studying, um, there are a lot of famous texts that you're going to come across in this chapter. However, it's quite difficult to just read through a passage and to really fully understand and get its full meaning. And it took me quite a while to understand this. And so I have a some, number of slides for us um, this was really to help me in my own understanding to understand why Jesus was saying all of this. We are at the beginning of that chapter and really the next few chapters from chapter 14 all the way to chapter 17 that Jesus spends just talking and, and trying to teach his disciples. Um, Matthew chapter 5 to 7 are the famous chapters, but I believe that John 14 to 17 really are the most important and pertinent to the church today as well. And so as we dig in, let's start there in chapter 14, verse 1. Something that is really famous um, for many Christians today. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Jesus says, don't be troubled. One of the greatest promises in the Bible are found in these three verses, a promise that he's going to come back and take us home to heaven. One of the greatest promises that Jesus has mansions prepared for us, and he tells us, don't be troubled. Why? Because there's a lot to be troubled about even in this world that we're living in today. And 
He says in verse 4 that whether I go, you know, and you know the way. And he assures us that we know the way to get there. There has to be no confusion about this. He says it very clearly to his disciples, you know. But you know what's very interesting in verse 5? Thomas asks him, Lord, we know not where you're going, so how can we know the way? And so he continues in verse 6. Jesus says unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Here is another famous text. Just in the first six verses, we already are quite familiar with John chapter 14, you know. These are texts that we are all too familiar with, no matter which church, no matter which denomination that we go to. But Jesus says, look, this is nothing new. Why? It's all about Jesus Christ. He says what? I am the, the way, the, and the life. It is through Jesus Christ that we are able to get there one day. And no one is able to access the Father, he says, except through me. So when you see there in verse 6, we, we really catch, what, we get the first part of it, but Jesus says what? No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Why does he introduce the Father? What does this have to do with God the Father? Well, let's continue. Verse 7. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him, and have seen him. So once again, he introduces who? The Father. If you had known me, you would have known the Father. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus said unto him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He that have seen me have seen the Father, and how sayest then, show us the Father? So really, is this a repeat? You know, Philip he, he asks him, show us the Father, and Jesus says, if you know me, you don't need to see the Father. You see, friends, this is the reason why Satan had a big problem with Jesus. Do you know that the great controversy, the biggest issue in heaven is not between Satan and the Father? It's not Satan and the Holy Spirit. It's the great controversy between who? Christ and Satan, because Jesus is the visible manifestation of the Godhead. We cannot see the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? We cannot see the Father. He is the light that no man can approach unto. And so really, if we want to know about the Godhead in general, we all have to do, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Verse 10, Believest thou not that I am in the Father? and the Father in me. He's asking the disciples, do you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. So Jesus, he expounds on this, this understanding that he is a representation of the Father. How? Through the words that he says and the works that he does. So all the works that I do, he says, it is the Father that is doing it 
through me. So he makes this link between himself and the Father. He gives us his understanding a bit of the reason why he's introducing the Father. Really, the most important component of all of this is the Father. Because it is his words and his works. So everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does, it is from who? The Father. Let's continue. Verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the very work's sake. So if you don't believe that the Father is in me, at least believe what? Believe my works. Because why? Remember, in the Gospel John, what is happening? Maybe we've been going for so long you've forgotten. But the Gospel John is all about how Jesus is trying to prove that He is God. That we can trust Him, that we can hold on to Him, and we can have salvation through Him. But the fact is this, people do not believe. So Jesus is saying, look, if you don't believe, at least believe my what? My works. There is something that people cannot deny. It's what they see with their own eyes and what they hear with their own ears. So Jesus is saying, if you don't believe, that's fine. At least believe your own senses. Verse 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do, he shall do also. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. So Jesus is saying, if you believe on me, what will happen? What's the result? According to verse 12, what will happen? You will do even what? Greater works. So if you believe on Jesus, the works that you do will be greater than his. But remember, where did the works come from? It was from the Father. Verse 13. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is the third famous text that many people are all too familiar with. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, right? And so if we ask God, give me wisdom for school, God will do it, right? No, not necessarily. If we ask for wisdom for my work, God will give it, right? Not necessarily. If we pray for, for healing, God will do it, right? Not necessarily. The context of which Jesus is speaking here when he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, what is he referring to? even greater works than what Jesus did. So we've got to make sure that the works that we're asking for are the same works that Jesus did as well. Amen? Amen? So when we pray, we've got to make sure we pray according to His will. We've got to make sure that what we're asking for is exactly what Jesus Himself would do as well. But the condition is what? We have to ask. Fourth famous Bible text. Let's read it together. Verse 15. If ye love me, keep my commandments. What does the keeping of the commandments have to do with what we see here in this picture so far? 
Why does he seem to bring up this situation, this condition all of a sudden? If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if we love God, we will keep his commandments. And then we know that whatever we ask in his name, he will do it. The condition is what? Love. The work is what? Keeping the commandments. So what can we see? The love or the commandments? It's obvious, right? So a person that says they love God, it's not enough. You have to have the works to prove it, to back it up. Really, this will be a byproduct. Why? Because if you love Him, what's going to happen? Let's keep going. Verse 16. If we love God and we keep His comments, verse 16 says, I will pray the Father, He shall give you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. So what's, this, what's the result of our love? Jesus will pray and God will give us what? Comforter. That He will help us with what? Keeping of the Ten Commandments. Look, you've got to understand this. God does not expect us to keep His commandments in order to prove that we love Him. Did you catch that? Many Seventh-day Adventists, as you were, as you were looking at the, the lineage journey, the video that we have at the beginning of the church service, the 1888 General Conference, the church was largely legalistic. And they would say, yes, you have to keep the comments to prove that you love God. Friends, we cannot do that. It's impossible. Why? If we love God, then He is the one that gives us the comforter, and the result is this. Do you understand that? So, keeping other commandments is a byproduct of the love of God. But if we make it as a condition, as evidence, and that's it, we will never be able to keep the Ten Commandments. Our focus should not be on the keeping of the Ten Commandments. Our focus should be on loving God. Verse 17. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwells in you and shall be in you. Who is this referring to? The Comforter, even the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Yet a little while the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall also live. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Here's a question that I have for you. In verse 20, sorry, verse 19, it says, Yet a little while the world seeth me no more, but ye see me, and because I live, you shall also live. And then he says in verse 20, At that day you shall know that I am in my Father. What day did the disciples know that Jesus was in his Father, or with his Father, and the Father was with him? Is that the second coming? When you look at this carefully, look, that day 
it cannot be referring to the second coming because the promise of the comforter would be given to them. Did you see that? Jesus says, at that day you will know when I'm with my Father is because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. When did that take place? Anybody know? It was at Pentecost. It was at the day of Pentecost when they did greater works than Jesus ever did. Works such as what? 3,000 were baptized in one day. People were wanting to sit under the shadow of Peter because as a shadow hit them, they'll be healed. Jesus never did such works before. Yes, they did works similar to Jesus. When Peter and John, they went into the, the temple to pray and they saw this man that was sitting by the side. He couldn't walk. And they said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Yes, Jesus did things like that. But the disciples did even greater works. And it was on that day that they could have full confidence and assurance that Jesus was in the Father. Or rather, the Father was in Jesus. Why? Because Peter and John, do you remember what they said to that, that man that was lame? In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. It was that sort of power that when the disciples asked for it, God gave it. That whatever they did in His name, it would be done. It was nothing to do with the secular life that we are lead, leading today. Some of us are praying for money. Yes, rightly so, we need it to survive. We need food on our tables. We need clothes on our backs. Yes, these things we need to pray for. But this is not what Jesus was referring to when He was talking to His disciples the very last thing that He could talk about before He was crucified. He was telling them, look, you will know when this happens. On the day of Pentecost, that happened and yet it seems like it's died off. It is the very thing that we need today as well. If we are to finish the work in our generation and in our lifetime, we need the same experience. But Jesus is not done. Verse 21, let's go there. John, uh, John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that what? loveth me. Sounds like John 14, 15, isn't it? If you love me, keep my commandments. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Notice the flow here. If we love Jesus, not only will he love us back, but also who? The Father will love us, and it says, I will manifest myself to him. Friends, this is truly a two-way relationship. It's not just one way. If we love Christ, Jesus promises, not only will I love you back, but my Father will love you as well. But not only that, He will make Himself manifest to you. You will know, you will have evidence that this is the true God. You know, after this sort of experience, we wonder why would anyone ever leave God in the first place, right? You know what I mean? Where does doubts arise from? Where do people come across and say, I doubt even the existence of God? Where do atheists come from? 
Why do people apostatize? Well, Jesus simply says, if you love me, everything else falls into place. Verse 22, Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not to the world? You know what he's really asking? Jesus, how come you don't show yourself to the whole world? Why just to us? Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Judas asked this important question, Jesus, I mean, if you showed yourself to the whole world, then the gospel will be preached, and then you make our job a lot easier, isn't it? Right? Why don't you show yourself to the whole world? Well, the answer was very simple. What is it? Not everybody loves me. You see, that's the condition, friends. It's such a simple condition. You're like, Ben, I'm not learning anything new this morning. Yes, we all got to love God, right? But remember, if we love Him and He loves us back and He gives us the comforter, what was the result? Does anybody remember? Greater works will He do. My point is this. We may love God, but we don't love Him enough. We don't love Him enough. It's, it's possible to go to church and not love Jesus. You know, I've said this to a person before. <laughs> I've said a lot of bad things. But I told a person, I call, your question, uh, I call your love for God into question. And the person looked at me and says, do you know I give tithes? Do you know I listen to Doug Batchelor before I go to church? Do you know I cook for church? You know, they say all sorts of stuff. But going to church does not mean you love God. It's possible to grow up in an SDA family and not love Jesus. It's possible to sing hymns and know the number of the song in the hymnal and be in the choir, not love Jesus. You know, it's possible to preach and not love Christ. And you know, I'm not judging anybody here. I'm talking about myself. I go to church every week. I grew up in an Adventist family. I joined a touring choir that went around the world singing. I preach nearly every week. But it's possible to do all these things and still miss the one thing that is most important. And that's the question that I want to ask do we really love Jesus as we ought? How do we know if we love Him? This is the fruit. It's not what we have to force ourselves to do. But Jesus says, if you love me, you will not only keep my commandments, but you'll keep my word. He doesn't say you'll go to church every week. He doesn't say you'll be a preacher. I'm expecting Cassidy to say amen sometime soon. No. The fruit of love is just two things, Jesus says. Keep my commandments 
and keep my word. That is the fruit. It's not something that we need to focus on. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is how do you fall in love with somebody? We got to know Him, yes. And really, it's that simple. To know Him is to love Him. Many of us can come and sit in those chairs every week, but still not know Jesus. We can know about Him, but it doesn't mean we know Him. We can like Him, but it doesn't mean we love Him. There's a big difference between like and love. Like is part-time. Love is all-encompassing and all-supreme. If I love my wife, there will be no other woman. But if I like my wife, I can like someone else as well. Right? There are options when it comes to like. But when it's love, that's it. It's that one person and nobody else. If you love a certain type of food, you will choose that over everything else if you have the options, isn't it? It's all-encompassing. It is 100% your heart. You know, I want to share with you some quotes. First, taken from Ian Bounds. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not more machinery or better, what? <laughs> not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. Men that are willing to commune with God. Men and women who are willing to spend that time wrestling with God and pleading with Him for others, for His work, for the world, for the church. We don't need more new inventions of methods. Nothing wrong with the survey that we're doing this morning. But friends, the reason why we are still here and not up there is because God has not found a group of people that love Him with all His heart. And this He had to say to men that have been walking with Him for three and a half years. So no, I'm not beating on any of us here. But he was talking to people that had been walking and rubbing shoulders with the Son of God. They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen his love and his compassion. They'd seen his mercy. They'd seen up close and personal that he really was God in the flesh. And yet he's still in telling his disciples, you know what? You don't love me enough. God's revelation does not need the light of human genius, the polish and strength of human culture, the brilliancy of human thought, the force of human brains to adorn or enforce it. But it does demand the simplicity, the docility, humility, and faith of a child's heart. You know, God's methods are not more professional song leading, more professional piano players, more professionals in our church. That's not what God's work needs. It's not about getting up here and having a form that is the presentation just blows us all away. It's not, never been about that. Do we have to strive to be the best? Yes. 
Do we have to give God the best in our singing and our praying and our preaching? Yes, but that's not what will get the work done. God's plan is to make man, make, God's plan is to make much of the man far more of him than of anything else. Men are God's method. The church is looking for better methods, but God is looking for better men. You know, friends, when, when we talk about this last message that Jesus left with his disciples, they were probably thinking how they're going to handle it after Jesus left. Yes, that's why he tells them at the beginning, don't be troubled. I'll come again. He leaves with them the promise of the Holy Spirit. The one thing that will be the foundation for everything else. And all we have to do is ask. All we have to do is spend time with him. And he'll give it. Methods, they're a means to an end. But if God cannot bless it because of the men or the women in it, it's not the method that is the problem. What do I mean by this? You know, at church, we've been doing evangelism every year for the past three, four years now, I think it is, four years. And we've yielded not many results. And then I listened to great evangelists like C.D. Brooks. Anybody know who C.D. Brooks is? One of the great evangelists of our church who just passed away recently. I read stories about, you know, um, Mark Finley and Doug Batchel and all these people that are still alive today. They've, they've done these evangelism that 50 people get baptized, 100 people get baptized, and they look at us and not a single person gets baptized. And I'm not blaming anybody in the church. I blame myself. Because I know that my life is not up to par where God can pour out His Spirit upon the church and upon the work that we do that people will come and line up to get baptized. Last year, there was no baptism between Dak and Sack. It's a reflection of my life. And I've thought about it long and hard. But it's not the method that God needs. It's the men and women that He can fill with His love and His Spirit. Education, 57 paragraph 3, something we're more familiar with. The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their inmost souls are true and honest. Men who do not fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. You know, friends, God is looking for such men and women today. Men who are not scared of the consequences. Men who don't be swayed by popular opinion and what people say about them. Men who will stand and women who will stand for the right no matter what everyone else around them is thinking and doing. The worst is to be stubborn in error. But to be stubborn in truth is something that we don't find a character trait often in our, today, in our modern age. But friends, why? It's because we've not have an, had an audience chamber with Jesus. We still get afraid of what men and women think. Why? Because we don't know God. We don't know His power. 
We don't know His presence. We cannot feel it, and so we depend on men and women to dictate our own conscience. Friends, in this day and age of faithfulness, it's hard to find. And if we are to stand for the right, though the heavens fall, we need an experience, as Ellen White says, that we do not now possess. In verse 24 and 25, Jesus says, He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Friends, this is our greatest need today, to be filled with the knowledge of God, to be filled with the understanding of His Word, that if we would have that walk with Christ in this new year, God will fill you so full that your personal life would overflow with the blessings that will abound and affect the church in a very positive way. What we do throughout the week, my dear friends, matters. We are told that everyone has an influence for good or for evil. You might be the most quiet person in church, but your presence speaks volumes. For either with you comes an angel of light or a demon. There is no in-between. You cannot have a neutral influence. You either have a positive or a negative influence. And so, friends, in this new year, if we are to allow Christ to work through us, we have to have a deeper relationship with Him. When Christ comes, He's looking for people that are exactly like Him, in character, in thought, in purpose. Not because we spent so much time at church, but because we spent so much time with Him in our personal and our private lives. How willing is Christ to take possession of the soul temple if we will let Him? He is represented as waiting and knocking at the door of the heart. Then why does He not enter? It is because the love of sin has closed the door of the heart. As soon as we consent to give sin up, to acknowledge our guilt, the barrier is removed between the soul and the Savior. Friends, I want you to notice, it's not as soon as we obey the commandments. It doesn't say as soon as we get our life right. That's not what she's saying. She's saying as soon as we consent, as soon as we say, Lord, I'm willing to acknowledge our guilt. You have not left the place. You've not gone out, gone out and tried to make things right yet. Are you understanding me? As you even sit there this morning, as you're listening and you're saying, Lord, there's something in my life I've brought over from 2019 into 2020. As soon as you tell God, I am sorry, what I have done is wrong, as you're sitting there, the barrier is removed between the soul and the Savior. He's not waiting for you to do some great work. He's not saying, Ben, I'm waiting for you to go back and throw out those DVDs. Then I'll come. No. 
as soon as you say in your heart, God, I am sorry about keeping those DVDs, the barrier is removed. Amen? Amen? There is no work we have to do. All we got to do is to be willing. And if we are, Christ can work in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. Friends, in this new year, we got to be willing to give everything to Christ. Maybe you've had an addiction that you've been struggling with for years. And you tell yourself, oh, I've given this promise before. There's no use. That's the devil whispering in your ear, friends. Tell Christ right now, I know what is wrong. I see it. I'm willing to surrender it. And Jesus says, that barrier's gone. I can come in now. Friends, that is how we invite Christ into our life. This is how we can make our experience personal walk with Christ deep and meaningful. Because then Christ has come in. He can speak to your heart. He can show you the rich treasures out of His Word. It's not enough just to hear, but we've got to react based upon it. Friends, is there something you know that you've brought in from 2019 into 2020? Maybe something you're still struggling with. Maybe something you know you need to do, but you've not done it yet. Don't wait to go out and do it right here, right now. Tell God, I'm sorry, and I'm willing to change. Help me. And Christ says, I can remove that barrier. But it's our choice. It's our choice. And more than that, friends, He's waiting to spend time with you. He always has been. And He's been knocking on the door of your heart. Why don't you let Him come in? You know, as we sing our closing song, My Jesus, I love Thee. Let's make a commitment in our heart in this coming week and for this New Year's resolution to say, Lord, what I had last year was good, but it can be better. I've been reading my Bible, but you're not here yet, which tells me my experience with you has not been good enough. Whatever happened in the previous year, for better or for worse, let this year be even better than before. I read through the Bible once last year. This year, I'm going to read through it one and how much more. I've walked close with you, my devotion, but this year, it's going to be even closer. It's going to be even sweeter. How much more closer can we walk with Christ? Well, if we are willing to give everything up and give everything to Him, then we can say, we've done all that we can. But if not, friends, we have still more choices to make through your work, through your studies, how you spend time with family, how you spend time with friends, how you spend your time in that free time that God has given to you. Can it be used even more wisely for the furtherance of His work? That's decisions that we have to consider as we sing. Let's stand, shall we? You know, I know that in our course as we walk with Christ, He tests our sincerity and our love to Him. Or rather, He allows it to be tested through the course of our life 
in our work, in our relationships, in the activities that we do, in the, in the possessions that we have. The love of Christ is always tested in how we live it out. But friends, before you get to that, the question that we always have to ask ourselves is, Lord, have I been walking with you in the first place? And in this new year, I'm not asking you to give more, to sacrifice more. I'm asking you to walk more with Him. Because if we do, I know that the rest will take care of itself. Yes, there'll be struggles, I feel that, as we walk with Christ, because the heart, it struggles to change, and it struggles because the carnal heart is very difficult and doesn't let go that easily. But it gets easier with Christ. It gets easier as we spend more time and behold Him more. The changes become more rapid. And so, friends... I hope that in this new year, you've made a resolution to say, Lord, more of you and less of the world. More time. If you had a morning devotion, but you haven't had an evening devotion, then you say, Lord, I'm going to spend that evening with you as well. If you have that and the evening, then you say, Lord, I've got to spend more time. If you have that, then you say, Lord, I need to be like Daniel, praying three times a day. But there is always room for improvement if we will be willing to say, Lord, I'm willing to give up time. I'm willing to give up my pet sins. I'm willing to give up those things that are distracting me from you. What are those things? Well, friends, we all have different struggles. We all have different needs. But let's make that commitment today to tell, Lord, we need to give you more, more time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, the problem is not because we're not doing enough, but it's because we don't love you enough. And so I pray for all of us here. Our hearts, they're human. They're prone to wonder. Help us, O oh Lord, to make that recommitment even today. Even though we made a commitment yesterday, help us to recommit our lives every day to you. Help us not to lose focus of why we're here. In the busyness and the rush of our lives, as we're rushing out the door for school and for work, Lord, help us not to forget why we're living this life in the first place. So I pray that you please be with each and every one of us. Guide us, Lord. Convict us where we've fallen short and help us even now to surrender our lives again to you. Surrender the things that we're struggling with and realize that only you can help us to change. Guide us in this new year, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.